Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. Corey and Chad here chatting with Mark Chandler, managing partner at Bannockburn Global Forex, also editor of the Mark to Market website, which I will link to below. Mark, I want to start off with the big news of today, and it's market moving news. The jobs data out of the BLS said that 317,000 jobs were added and the two prior months were revised up by a combined 126,000 jobs. This was a surprise considering the ADP report that came out earlier this week said that 107,000 jobs were added in the private sector. So ADP missed estimates, BLS blew estimates away. Markets are reacting well to this. Dollars reacting well to this. Bonds are selling off. We have big changes in Fed expectations in terms of when they're going to be cutting rates, at least in March. Mark, what was your takeaway from this jobs data today? Yeah, wasn't that impressive? I think that the non-farm payroll number itself came in almost twice what the market was looking for. There were some people who were even saying that uh, Powell had tipped his hand when he talked about an answer to a question. He said that a weak jobs report would get them to reconsider about their confidence uh, about inflation falling back to target. And so instead, we get this monster jobs number. And I really want to say it's a monster jobs number, not only twice as much as expected, but like you noted, upward revisions in the past couple of months. And then look at that manufacturing jobs. You know, I, I get a lot of email people telling me, well, a lot of the jobs that have been created are healthcare and government jobs, and as, as if those jobs don't matter so much. Those those sectors tend not to be as interest rate sensitive, so you'd expect them to outperform. But what we saw with today's report is a 23,000 jump in manufacturing payrolls. The market was only looking for like a 3,000 increase. What this means is that a three-month average of the of the just manufacturing jobs puts us at its best three-month period since October 2022. And not only was the job creation stronger than non-farm payrolls, but hourly earnings rose twice what the, what the market expected, a 0.6. And that put the year-over-year Average hourly earnings up to four and a half percent. And even if you don't buy into the Phillips curve, which tries to tie the unemployment rate to inflation, this kind of income growth translates into stronger demand. The one weakness of the report was that hours worked fell by two tenths of an hour. And how to reconcile that? I'd suggest that the we had some winter storms that prevented people from working. And the number of people who couldn't work due to the weather was a threefold website. It was the highest in about three years. And so uh, uh, generally speaking, I think this is a, a very strong uh, jobs report. And what you've seen happen is the market has really taken hold of Powell's comments at the FOMC press conference where he played down the likelihood of a March cut. and. This just drives home the point that even now, there's about a 25% chance that the market's pricing in of a March cut. And that's down about from 50% at the end of last week. And remember, at the end of last year, it was fully discounted for a cut at the March meeting. Yeah, Mark, it's really been interesting to watch those Fed funds futures change really all of last year. One could argue they moved the goalpost all around, and, and we've seen that continue into 2024. Uh, people were at one point thinking there was going to be rate cuts in January. Then it was for sure in March. Now it's in May, and now 
with all this good economic data, if you think back just over the last couple weeks, we've had better than expected GDP, better than expected earnings season for a lot of the companies. We've had a pretty good jobs number here, a blowout number compared to what people expected. And even though there was some volatility around Powell's comments midweek, uh, that was quickly reversed. You made an interesting comment to us off mic, and I'd love you to expand on it here, that the narrative has shifted from worrying about recession versus soft landing more so now to soft landing versus economic acceleration. So maybe unpack that thought. Yeah, sure. So, you know, that's what the debate has been up until now has been uh, sort of the uh, those people who think we're in a recession or headed for a recession. And there's, there's some data that can be pointed to. There's some data that can be pointed to. What I looked at was the uh, leading economic indicators, uh, the pace of that decline. We only see in recessions, contraction M2. You know, there's this, there, there's some evidence of, uh, how different this business cycle is from past cycles. And, and there was this, uh, I think, a lot of talk still in many parts of Wall Street about a risk of a recession. And then there's the, the, the sort of more optimistic camp thought that maybe soft landing could be achieved. And I think this is where the Fed is, too. Without Powell saying as much as has been achieved, in fact, he tried to play that down of coming to that conclusion. Uh, but I think that's where the Fed's forecasts are for the soft landing. It's really a question of confidence. But now, you know, it's not just the jobs data. Like you mentioned, we've had a, a series of strong economic reports, and it's a bit early in the data cycle to really put much weight on it. But the Atlanta Fed's got the economy tracking 4.2% growth here in Q1. The median survey, or the median forecast in Bloomberg survey was for 1% growth. I suspect that after today's employment data, we're going to see the market revise up their forecast for Q1 growth. And we, they might wait a week until we get the retail sales number and industrial production, but I think that's the general direction. It's, it looks like the U.S. economy is off to a, a very strong start here in the beginning of the year. And so what's happened, I think, is that uh, the optimistic camp says the economy is really reaccelerating. And this, again, is part of this in contrast, I should say, with what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, Japan is looks like it's maybe recovering a bit, but Europe is still at stagnation. And we've got, of course, still problems out of China where the Chinese uh, stock market, their main index, the CSI 300, fell to new five-year lows today. So once again, I think that you've got this contrast between the U.S. economy, which, which looks fairly robust. I mean, of course, it's being helped by a budget deficit of about 6% of GDP. So, Mark, to the markets then and what's driving markets, your point there is that U.S. economy is looking better than a lot of other economies. Is that driving the market? Is it Fed expectations? As we heard through last year, or at least the tail end of last year, that doesn't really seem to be the case because rate cut expectations have come down and markets are back to all time highs. Or is it simply just the U.S. economy following the U.S. markets, where we usually hear, we do hear regularly that markets disconnect from the economy. What are the market drivers here? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, you think that recession fears would have knocked the stock market back or higher interest rates, but yet the stock market rallied, including into the end of the year, new record highs. And it seems to me, I mean, that the trying to come up with a narrative to explain how the market is shrugs off bad news, rallies on good news, sort of reminds me of the old story about uh, how Jackie Gleason said he got married on honeymooners. That, uh, he said, a heads I win, tails you lose. And uh, I think this is the 
This is with the stock market. I think, you know, we gapped lower in the S&P 500 on Wednesday. And, you know, the tech, some of the leading tech stocks reported some disappointing earnings. And the market thought, finally, we got the correction that a lot of people have been talking about. But instead, uh, we, we closed on our highs uh, yesterday, on Thursday, and then gapped higher today. That's leaving a two-day island bottom which is a very bullish chart pattern. And uh, it's almost like, as I was saying before, the sense of uh, fear of missing out seems to be the big driver. And so uh, whether the Fed's going to be, if the Fed doesn't have to cut interest rates it's because the economy is growing quickly, that's good for, that's good for uh, corporate America. And if the Fed has to cut interest rates and uh, to stimulate the economy, that also is good for, for, for businesses. So I think we're just in a position now where the market wants to go up. Well, Mark, it's definitely been going up and we've seen breakouts in many of the main indexes, but there has been some more chatter and banter looking at observations that the breadth is starting to narrow again. People are piling back into some of the larger tech stocks. The tech ETF, the spider ETF is one of the ones that's outperformed all the other ETFs recently. And we've seen some of the small caps and other areas of the market show more weakness and consolidation is that a concern that the breadth is narrowing or is that just investors going to where the cheese has moved? Yeah, I mean, I think that the breadth is always a concern for, for people who want to pick their own stocks. And, you know, there's been such a, uh, a tension between the active managers and the, uh, the more passive investors. And I think that it's I think this is the kind of market, though, that has really rewarded those passive investors. You buy the index. Uh, many equity fund managers still struggle to outperform it. Uh, I, I still think that. Take a look at the bigger picture. You know, we've seen a strong rally in European stocks to start the year. Uh, we've seen a strong rally in Japanese stocks as well. The dollar is strong. And even if it gets a bit stronger here, like it looks like it will, I think Americans are still served well by thinking about diversifying overseas. It, it'll take several years for the dollar's overshoot to normalize. And that, I think, offers a, a tailwind for U.S. investors, dollar-based investors, to invest in Asia and European markets. Mark, as much as we hear about breadth being a concern when markets, let's say, are moving higher or moving to all-time highs, we do hear from people saying that's a bad sign for markets. But it seems like over the last year, it's actually still been a fairly good sign because, well, maybe the weak breadth happens at one time, we have seen rotation into other sectors and simply it's money staying within the markets. Yes, it might be within just a couple stocks, but as we've seen throughout the last year, again, it spreads out. Is this a short-term trend or is this something to really take note of? No, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't follow it, the the nuances so closely. I mean, it always it, on one hand, it, it always gets scared when the market is being led by just a handful of stocks. But on the other hand, that seems to be the way that bull markets work. Uh, it's just catching which industries, which sectors are leading the way. But even if one went to like, I'd say a market cap index like the Russell 3000, that's up three percent this year. Well, say it's done fairly well compared to say the Nasdaq's up four percent. So even the, a narrow measure of stocks, even like Dow Jones, the, the uh, industrials, they're up about two and a half percent. So you haven't done too bad by doing by having a broader, uh, broader index like the Russell 3000. I think it also suggests where value is rather than growth. Value might be in those smaller cap stocks right now as the large cap stocks look a bit stretched. 
Well, Mark, another theme that we heard last year that seems to be playing out slightly differently this year is last year was really a teeter-totter where on one side of it was the U.S. dollar and interest rates, and on the other side of it was everything else. Now we're starting to see a more dynamic market where things are moving against typical correlations. Like today, we, we see nice action in the markets and the dollar up solidly. How are you looking at the role that interest rates and currencies play in the markets, and are those shifting? So I kind of think that on a, uh, a short term, I think technicals, market momentum matters. I think in the medium term, it is really more a question about how the markets respond to macroeconomic news and those intermarket correlations. And there I place a big, uh, large emphasis, should say, on Fed and sort of central bank policy. I think that the, I think I can explain the dollar to a large extent uh, based on interest rate differentials. And expectations, uh, you know, different expectations for central bank policy, uh, for the most part, uh, within the context of the overall that if we were to have like some kind of equation, I would put more weight, a greater coefficient on what the Fed does than say the Bank of England or the Bank of Canada or the, or the RBA. But I do think that, uh, the, the, this, uh, whether it's interest rate differentials, growth differentials, which might be mediated through those interest rate differentials. I think those are the kind of things that I tend to put more emphasis on. I think they can help explain trends in the currency market. On that central bank front, are other central banks simply following the Fed, though? Or are you seeing any of them outside of China, which has its own problems, playing off a different playbook? Well, I say that that's really the, that's really the issue now is, is not so much uh, the direction of interest rates, the direction of overnight policy rates, but really... Uh, among within Europe, U.S., who's going to cut rates first and by how much? The market has the Bank of England and the Australians sort of lagging behind in the magnitude of moves, uh, with the Federal Reserve and the ECB looking at the market's pricing in, say, 125 to 140 basis points. I think that's one of the weights on the euro is the belief that the ECB will cut rates uh, more aggressively than they had hinted at. Remember at that recent press conference, ECB President Lagarde talked about a mid-year cut. The market's pricing it in almost uh, almost fully priced in for April. And so uh, some people think that the that makes the euro a good funding currency. That is, for retail investors, it's really about buying what, an asset that you think is going to go up. But on the institutional side, you not only want to buy the asset that you think is going to go up, but you don't want to use your money to, bu- to buy that asset. What you want to do is sell something, go short something, so raise the proceeds to reinvest in a, in a better in a higher yielding or more volatile security. So the carry trade or the funding currency is the short leg of that, what you sell, so you take those proceeds and buy something else. And people say right now that the euro looks like an attractive funding currency in that regard. I sort of still prefer, think there's more room to use uh, uh, China's, uh, the offshore RMB. Uh, and I think that, that uh, there's other like East European currencies that are better than the euro as a funding currency. I think that uh, uh, my target for the euro was 107.65, so and then 107 and a quarter. You know, there's a head and shoulders pattern in the euro that I thought could project to 106. But given where the momentum indicators are, I don't think we'd get down there. But after this uh, dramatic price action, we were testing the year's low 107.80. Maybe a downside breakout is what we should be looking at. 
Well, Mark, how does that carry over into the dollar then, since the euro is the heaviest weighted currency against the greenback in the DXY, in the dollar index? Uh, and speaking of carry trades, a lot of people used to think about the yen as the carry trade. And now uh, maybe the euro is the new uh, new kid on the block as far as that's concerned. But when you look at the dollar, just the action in it, it's been going higher. And a lot of people thought 103.50 would cap it. And it's up to 103.84 at the time of this recording. How are you looking at the dollar in relation to the euro? Yeah, so when I think about the dollar index, you're right. The euro plays the biggest part in there. And today, Friday, the dollar index is having a big outside update. By that, I mean it took out Thursday's lows and now is trading above Thursday's highs. And a close, which I would imagine we're going to do that, close above Thursday's high, which is about 103.80. And this is just a bullish pattern. Now, this 104 area is a retracement. It's roughly the halfway point of the dollars, the dollar index's sell-off from when it peaked last October. It was around 107.35, and it fell to about par 60 or so. So we're, we're testing now the halfway point. And so the next target, the next near-term target would be December's highs, which is around 104 and a quarter. But the next retracement, the next important Fibonacci retracement is closer to 104.75. Call it 104.75, 105 area as the next big target for the dollar index. Okay. So overall, though, market's doing well. Dollar moving higher. Mark, because this was such a busy week and we did see some volatility, but now markets are ending on such a strong note. And even the dollars you just pointed out on a strong note, what throws this on its head? What could be on tap here in the next week or two or three? Because we do have such a long time before the next Fed meeting. What could turn this trend around? Yeah, I think that's an important question since we have this, given this FOMO type of fear of missing out mood that the market seems to be in. So what could happen? I think there's a couple of things that could happen. And one of them is we got a little bit of a taste for in recent days. And that is the U.S. real estate market. I know people are talking about still the Chinese uh, property market that's imploded, that's really dragging on the economy, but it doesn't seem to have much global impl- direct global implications. Now, on the other hand, in the U.S., many, many foreign banks have uh, exposures to the U.S. real estate market. And this week, we saw a little bit of a hiccup in the U.S. Uh, regional banks. And we saw a Japanese bank uh, sell off hard based on its exposure to the U.S. real estate market. And the largest bank in Germany quadrupled its loan loss reserves for exposure to the U.S. real estate market. So one thing that could throw us off would be some kind of new financial instability, uh, like we saw last March, uh, last spring. But then it was more in the larger U.S. banks. And, of course, the Federal Reserve gave us a new facility for them, which expires, which there is no more loans will be made under that program uh, starting in March. Uh, The problem, though, seems to be more on the regional banks now and exposure to the commercial real estate market. You know what, Mark? Next week, we'll dive more into the real estate market and how banks are exposed to it, because it is a a key topic and one that a lot of the bears continue to point to the issues, especially in commercial real estate. And look, you do the math. It it makes sense. There could be some issues, some much larger issues than we even saw last year from some of the smaller banks. But I think that deserves some more time. So we'll talk about that next week, Mark. Thank you very much for recapping this week with us. I hope you have a great weekend. Good luck to everybody.